Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. Thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for another privilege to preach. Thank you, Lord, for this place and this people. And, oh, God, I pray you'd help me to be a blessing, to be a strength to, to the people of God. And Lord, you know the condition of every heart and life, and I pray in Jesus' name that you would work by your Spirit and meet that need today. Be with those, Lord, that are not able to be here because of sickness. I pray your hand upon them. Again, where death has come, may you bring comfort as only you can do. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you about few. The Lord said in verse 7, The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. The word few means not many or small in number. Uh, I think you understand what the word means. And uh, God, of course, uh, has used the few in, in, the, in the pages of history. Uh, we, I was talking to someone this week about, uh, about the flood. You know, God started with two people. Everybody come from Adam and Eve. It's on earth today. But then all that civilization was destroyed and God started over with eight people. And everybody come from the eight people that were on the flood. Uh, and after the flood, of course, they built the Tower of Babel, and the Lord had to come down and confuse the languages. God once again started over with a few. In fact, with one man by the name of Abram, God called him out from his people, from his country, from idolatry, and he said, to a land that I will show you. And God took him into the land of Canaan there. He wandered about living in a tent. Now, Abraham was a wealthy man. Uh, he uh, didn't have to live in a tent, but the Bible said he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. Jesus said he, rejoiced, he, saw me, he rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And I don't know all that God showed Abraham, but evidently he showed him uh, the eternal city of God, and Abraham was never satisfied down here after that. But the seed of Abraham settled in the land of Canaan. The president is there now in Israel trying to make peace. But I want to say that Bill Clinton is not going to bring peace. I'm not against the effort that he is making. Uh, other presidents have done the same, and certainly the desire for peace is, is good. 
But there will be no peace in that land or any other land, any permanent peace, until the Prince of Peace reigns from Jerusalem, Jesus Christ. And uh, until that comes, man's efforts, though good, will fall short. But that land belongs to the Jew. Biblically speaking, there's the controversy, who, who owns the land? Why do you have all the problems in the Middle East between the Palestinians and the Jews? Well, it started way back in Abraham's day. God promised a son to Abraham, and, and uh, Abram went into to Hagar there, and Ishmael was born. The Bible said he would be a wild man that his hand is sore to be against every man, and every man's sword against him. And so that's been the history of the seed of Ishmael, and it continues until this very day, the conflict, and uh, that, uh, you know, the, the long-reaching effects of their choices and their disobedience ought to be considered. Some people say, well, it's my life, if, I'm hurting no one but myself. If that was true, that would be good. But it's not true. And no man lives to himself and no man dies to himself. My decisions will affect others along the way. But uh, God promised the land to the seed of Abraham. And the Lord said, I did not choose you because you were more in number. You were the fewest of all people. And I chose to use you. Now, some think that only God was interested in the Jews in the Old Testament. Well, that's not true. God chose them to reveal himself and to bring forth the Messiah and to give the Scripture, but to be a testimony to the rest of the world of the power of God and that there was a true and living God, the creator of the world and the universe. And so God said, you were the fewest. There are many illustrations of this in the Bible. I think of the story of Gideon. Israel was being oppressed by the Midianites, and Gideon was threshing wheat by the wine press. Well, that was unusual in itself. The wine presses were in the valley, which made sense. If you ever go to the land of Israel, you will find the, uh, the it's a hilly country. I was amazed when I went there of, how mountainous Jerusalem. We went up and up and up. Uh, Jerusalem is in the mountains. Uh, and they had the, they planted their grapevines on the hillsides and that way they could carry, carry the grapes downhill to the, to the wine press. And uh, I like to deer hunt, as you know. I'm not the greatest in the world. And, but I like to hunt uphill. So if I kill one, it's downhill dragging. <laughs> but anyway, the wine press was in the valley, and uh, the they threshed the wheat on the hill on the on the ridges, and that way they would throw the wheat up, and the and the the wind would blow the chaff away. But he was threshing wheat down in the valley uh, for fear of the Midianites, lest they come and take it away. And the Lord comes to Gideon and said, Oh, thy mighty man of valor. And I think in my mind that Gideon must have thought, Well, he can't be talking to me. Here I am trying to hide. And, uh, but God was looking at Gideon for what he was going to do with him. 
And he said, I'm going to use you to deliver Israel. And you can read, it's a wonderful story in the Bible. I'm not going all the details of it, but he called Israel the men of war and 32,000 showed up. And the Lord said, there's too many, Gideon. If I let you defeat the Midianites, you'll go around bragging about it. I can't do that. You've got too many. Now the Bible said the Midianites were in the valley like grasshoppers. 32,000? They must have thought too many? <laughs> we're already greatly outnumbered. He said, I want you to send everybody back home that's afraid. And 22,000 left. He has 10,000 now. <laughs> and a host of Midianites like grasshoppers in the valley. And the Lord said, there's still too many, Gideon. Go down to the water and observe how they drink the water. And those that reach in the water with their hand and lift it up to their mouth and are alert, set them by themselves. And those that just drop everything and get down, you know, and, and uh, stick their head in the water, you and 9,700 do that, and he sends them home. Now he has 300. God said, okay, I'm going to give you the victory. This 300, they want enough, said, you're not going to, no way you're going to be able to take the credit. And uh, the Lord uh, devises a battle plan and gives them a trumpet and a, and a, 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 a lamp. And uh, he says in the vessel, and I want you to blow with a trumpet. I want you to break the vessel. I want the lights to shine. I want you to shout. And I'm going to give the victory. When they did that, God confused the Mennonites and they started killing one another and, and, uh, and God gave a great deliverance to Israel. But it's just an example in the Bible of how God has used the few. The story of David is another example how the Lord took a little shepherd boy and killed Goliath and many other examples in the Word of God about the few. God has never used the crowds. God, the majority, generally speaking, is not right. It's always the few. It's always the minority. It's always the downtrodden that God has revealed his mighty power through. And the Lord said, I chose you, Israel, because you were few of all people. Now, let me apply this in some ways, if I may. In the book of Luke 13, if you'll turn there, please, Luke 13. Uh, page uh, 1095, 1095, Luke 13, Matthew, Mark, Luke, pretty easy to find, Luke 13, and verse 23, and we'll see how this little word few is used. In Luke 13, verse 23, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? That's the question. Are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and is shut to the door, ye began to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thy is taught in their streets. He shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all your workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. You yourselves thrust out. Jesus is saying, he answers the question, are there few that be saved? 
And the answer is yes. I read a statistic some years ago. The only 6% of the population in the world is Protestant. I will be classified as Protestant in the, I don't believe the Baptist church is Protestant, but be that as it may, uh, they're included in the, in the statistics as Protestant. You have about 20-some percent Roman Catholic, and the rest is a variety of pagan religions, such, such as Hindu and and uh, uh, other world religions, the Muslim religion. But only 6%, 6 out of 100 are Protestant. That's Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Episcopalians and on down the line. 6 out of 100. And how many of them are really born again? I believe, scripturally speaking, that probably 75% of of those that profess to be Christians are lost. That leaves 25% of professing Christians are truly born of the Spirit of God. What a sad statistic. Are there few that be saved? He says here some will come when the door is shut and say, open to us. We've eaten and drunk in your presence. Thy is taught in our streets. Lord, you know me. I attended Maranatha Baptist Church. And the Lord will say, I'm sorry, I never knew you. Look at it in Matthew chapter 7, where he's dealing with the same thing in Matthew chapter 7 and verse uh, 13 and 14. Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way. That leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and what does it say? And few there be that find it. The broad road is like the interstate highway. The narrow road is the narrow road. Where's the, where's the, where's the narrow road? It's in the middle of the broad road going in the opposite direction. That's why there's opposition. But he tells us the majority on the broad road headed to hell. Then verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, in thy name have cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He doesn't say, I used to know you, and I forgot you. He said, I never knew you. They'll say, Lord, Lord, we preached and cast out devils and performed miracles, did many wonderful works. You realize the majority of preachers that will stand behind the pulpit today and preach to the people have never been saved themselves. The majority are lost. And if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into the ditch. The majority of preachers are lost. The majority of the members are lost. And will one day lift their eyes in hell. I want to tell you something worse. If a person knows they're lost and say, I know I'm not a Christian, they're halfway home if they know that. But I think of that individual that's lost without God, knows they're lost, knows if they died, they go to hell. But hope sometime between now and death, they'll get saved and get ready. I want to tell you something far worse than that is for a person to sit on a church pew and say, I'm all right. If I died, I'd go to heaven and then die and realize they were lost. That's the worst possible situation. And that will happen to multitudes and multitudes of people. 
and profess the name of Christ, but have never been born again, are lost without God and set on a church pew and are lost and don't know it. See, if a person knows they're lost, they're not deceived. A person's deceived is a person that thinks they're all right and they're deceived. So how can I know? How can I be sure? Uh, if I don't know, how am I going to know? One way to know, and that's the Word of God. If your, if your profession checks out with the Word of God, you can be sure you're saved. You're not deceived. But if your salvation, if your profession does not stand up to the tests of the Word of God, regardless of how much you may think you're saved, you're lost. The Bible says one thing. You know, people say, well, my, my loved one did not believe the Bible. They did not believe in, in the Lord Jesus Christ as, as the hope of salvation. They did not trust in Jesus Christ as the hope of the salvation, but they were a good person, and I believe they'll go to heaven. No, they won't. I care how good they are. There's just one way, and there is no salvation in any other. The Bible says, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Few, not many, few, the Bible says, are really saved. Then the Bible uses this term again in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Matthew 9, 35, 1008. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. Few labors, few that are saved. And then even among those that are saved, there's few that's doing anything for God. Few labors. Someone says in the average church, everybody is willing. 100% of everybody is willing. 10% is willing to do the work and 90% is willing to let them. You know, that's a sad account, but that is true. The Lord said the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. I heard Ralph Sexton's program this morning. He was talking about the Y2K problem and, and uh, that England, if I remember correctly, that they needed 24,000 programmers to fix a particular problem they had. And as of the date, that particular date, they had 24. Few. But I want to tell you, there's a problem far greater than Y2K, which is this computer thing you may have heard about. But... Uh, there's the problem of labors for Christ. Jesus said, the labors are few. He said, the harvest is ready. And you know something about a harvest. If you're going to get on a harvest, you've got to get it when it's ready. You can't wait till next year. When the wheat's ready, there is a window of opportunity. There's a few days it has to be harvested. And if you don't harvest it then, it rots. It's worthless. And I think of life and how... how Life is, is, you know, we, we're born and, and you grow up and the first thing you know, it's, it's spent. And there's a window of opportunity. There is a time to do something for God. And once those days are over, it's too late. It's amazing how we get wrapped up in this world 
and we're consumed, we're consumed with materialism, and we're consumed with, with pleasure, and we spend the majority of our, of our energy on things that won't amount to a hill of beans when it comes time to die. And we look, and this, I, I wish you could sit with me sometimes when I sit in hospital rooms, people reflect over life, and they look at life, and they consider life, and they think, oh my, I missed the whole purpose. I obtained this and that and the other, but for what purpose? I've got to meet God. What really counts? What really matters? A harvest, Jesus said, is great, but the labors are few. Look at the harvest. We've got a, we, what do we have? Over six trillion, is it trillion people in the world? A billion, I don't know how many people. We've got a bunch, <laughs> billion people. But there is such a, such a need and, and, and a world going to hell and very few people trying to do anything about it. What are you personally doing to keep somebody out of hell? If I ask this past week, what have you done in the past week to keep some soul out of hell? What have you done personally this week? You say, well, I didn't have opportunity this week. What about the last month? What about the last year? How many people could you say, you could start naming, let me, let me tell you about this person, you know, uh, you know this, this loved one, this person in my neighborhood, let me tell you about that, and, and I want you to pray for him. I, you know, I witnessed to him. I told him about the Lord, and, and let me tell you about this one. And, and I got a chance to tell them about the Lord, and, and let me tell you about this, this one here. I talked to them. I wonder how many you could tell me. How many, how, many could, how, many, how many could you talk to me about and say, I tried to win them to Christ in the last year. I tried to win these people to Jesus. Listen, what's more important than that? Nothing. Some of the dearest friends that I have in the world are people that I personally led to Jesus Christ. And if I had not done that, I may never have even known them. Some of the dearest memories that I have of people that I led to Jesus Christ just before they died and went to heaven. God did not heal them, but they got to go to heaven instead of hell. That's a, that's a blessing. I'll tell you, there's few labors. Jesus in John chapter 4, he said, I must needs go through Samaria. There was a woman that was coming to that well. But really, I don't think a lot of people cared anything about it. She was a, uh, an immoral woman. She'd been married to five husbands and lived with a man she wasn't married to. Jesus loved that soul. Began a conversation with her. Introduced her to the living water. She was born again, and that vile, that immoral woman went into the city and was the reason for that city coming to Christ. She went to the city, left her water pot, and says, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. Come, I want to introduce you to a man. There's few labors. Then in Matthew 20, we'll just stay in Matthew here, Matthew 20 and verse 16, he uh, uses, uses the phrase again, so the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called, but few are chosen. This used again in chapter 22, verse 14. Many are called, but few are chosen. Few that are saved, few labors, and few, few that are chosen. I don't believe, uh, of course we know there's just few saved, and I don't believe that's talking about God chooses a few to get saved and a few to go to, or the majority to go to hell. I don't think it's what he's talking about. I believe he's talking about serving God. And there's few. In John 15 and verse 16, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should 
remain. God said, I chose you. I think of the privilege of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't want to preach. I did not choose preaching. I remember being in school with a fellow, and, and uh, of course at that time I was, I was not preaching, had no intention of preaching. And uh, we was talking about, you know, our chosen profession in life, and uh, I was going to be a CPA is what I'd uh, training for, started school for. And uh, he said, he said, you know, I've been thinking about being a preacher. I said, is that right? He said, yeah. I said, they just preach on Sunday and loaf around the rest of the time. I was back set on God at that time, but I said, I knew enough. I said, you can't just, you can't just choose to be a preacher. You have to be called. And lo and behold, little did I know that God had called me. God began to deal with my heart, and I could not think of anything else. And God began to deal with me, and I thought, I, Lord, I can't do that. I'm introverted. I'm, I'm backward and kind of bashful and shy. And, and Lord, I, I can't do that. You know I, I can't do that. And there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians I want to look at, 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh the glory in his presence. Why does God do it that way? God does it that way so man can't take the credit. So people will say that has to be God. I remember when I first started preaching, Charles and Janie knows who I'm talking about, Wade Boone, preacher Wade Boone. Used to be at Mine Creek Baptist Church at that time, and he let me preach a few times. And there was a lady in that church. When I preached, she came to me, and, and she used to take up money in the lunchroom. I, I think in those days she had to pay a nickel for the milk or something, if I remember right. And so you know that's been a while. And, uh, but she came to me and she said, I cannot believe it. I just cannot believe it that you would be a preacher. Said, of all the people in the whole school, I would never have expected you to be a preacher. Well, I did not consider that as, uh, and she didn't mean it as, you know, uh, as a put down. I consider that as a compliment. Revelation 17, 14 there these shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Acts 9, 15, Paul said he was a chosen vessel. Then I want you to turn to Revelation 3. Revelation 3, and we'll see one more time the use of this little word, few. In Revelation chapter 3, the church of Sardis, verse 1, that's page 1333, and unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. If I have not found thy works perfect before God, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. I shall not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now he's writing to a church here, a representative church. Verse 4, we have the word used. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 
He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess my, his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Not just one church he's talking about, but it's applicable to other churches. He said, Sardis, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. And he says, but even in the midst of this, he said, there's a few names in Sardis. God's always had a few. Thank God for that. There's always been a few that'll hold the blood-stained banner high, will not dip their colors, will not compromise the truth, will not go along with the crowd. There's always a few that'll hold forth the truth of God. I'm glad for that and thank God to this very day we have the preserved truth of God for this generation because of that few. Thou hast a few names in Sardis that's not defiled their garments. I'm not going to blot their name out. That doesn't mean that their name can be blotted out. It's a promise there. And, uh, but uh, these few, these few, are you among the few today? I trust that you are. Trust your name is in the book of life in the Lamb's book of life, that you're among the few that are saved. I'd rather have that. I'd rather have Jesus, the song says. I'd rather have Jesus than to have it all. I'd rather be among the few to say, thank God I'm born again. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Heaven's my home. I'm going to heaven. I'd rather be able to lay down at night and say, let come what may. I don't know what the future holds for me. I don't know what disease may overtake my body. I don't know what other crisis I may face in life. There's one thing for sure. I belong to Jesus Christ. And if death comes, if trouble comes, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Nobody can take that away from me. I'd rather have Jesus than to have it all. Few names, few that are saved, few that are trying to do something for God, few names that are there on God's book. That's more important than having your name on this church book or some other church book. That's just a formality of, of man. important thing is your name in God's book. That's where it counts. You say, what about this book of life? I'll just mention this in passing. Uh, it's a whole, whole other message. Uh, but the book of life, it appears in a way, as I understand the Scripture, that everybody's name is in the book of life. And those, those who refuse Jesus Christ as Savior, their names are removed. And those that are left, are the same as the Lamb's book of life. Is your name in the book of life? Are you a child of God? Matthew 25, 21 says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thy unto the joy of thy Lord. God says you've, you've, you've been... You know, listen, this is a small church. We just got a few. But you know something? I want to be faithful to God in ministering to the few. These preachers will not lower themselves to preach to a little small church like this. There's preachers, there's preachers in the world if I call and says, I would like to have you come for revival. And I told them the size of their church, they would not even consider coming. There's singers out there that demand a minimum of several thousand dollars just to show up. I remember years ago I contacted a well-known evangelist on two different occasions. Our church was not too large at the time about coming for a revival. That well-known evangelist did not even answer my letters. The church grew. We had about 500. I didn't ask him to come. If a man would not come and preach to 25, 
I will not have him for 500. God says, you have been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. I want to be faithful in the few God's chosen to minister to at this time. Let's bow our heads, please.